Welcome back to Official Unofficial. I'm your host, the former face of junior college baseball, the Fall American, and we're here with a special guest, a man that throws absolute fuzz, hit 100 last week. Is that good? You tell me. He is a former Michigan State Spartan, and he's a prospect for the Tampa Bay Rays. It is my pleasure to welcome Nathan Witt to the Official Unofficial podcast. What's up, Witter? How's it going? Thanks for having me, and go green. Uh, you know what? And credit to me for being unbiased. I'm obviously a University of Michigan fan. But I was like, we got to get Witter on. He's a dog. He's nasty. So I'll put my differences aside. So I got to ask you, is the rivalry in college baseball between Michigan State and Michigan as big as it is in football? Because I've heard it's like not really as much as it is even like in other sports. No, it's football is, I mean, they spray paint our statues. We spray paint their M they have at campus. Um you know, if we win, it's burning couches in the streets. If they win, they're driving by screaming at us, walking down the road. Baseball is kind of, I mean, we'll get more fans, probably a couple of thousand more fans, but there's no spray painting going on. There's not people camping out in front of the Sparty statue. Uh, no, it's nowhere close. It's football. Yeah, and I went to Michigan State versus Michigan at the big house, I think, two years ago. And the Michigan State football team, I'll be blatantly honest with you, is kind of trash. So what would you say is like the best Michigan State athletic team? Is it the hockey team? Because I know the hockey team is nasty. I'd say hockey. Uh, I, I think basketball is going to be good in like the next two years when they get all these recruits. I, I know Imani Bates just decommitted, which, which stinks. Um, but I'd say hockey basketball be pretty good i think their golf's not bad either if i remember correctly yeah so i mean michigan state and i'll say this the hockey rink there is sick like i went to michigan's michigan state there and you want to talk about just the dream scenario about just getting after it that hockey rink is like a perfect place to just be a little bit drunk and just watch college kids go at it it's electric yeah it's really really cool. it's really kind of tight fitting too so you're on top of the action and they cram people in there it's uh, I went to on my recruiting visit. I think it was Michigan versus MSU, and it was it was wild. It was really cool. It was my fir- first or second ever hockey game, so it was it was cool to go to. And you're from Michigan, if I have that correctly, right? You're from Clarkson, Michigan. Yep. So what yep. was Michigan like growing up? Was your family like a Michigan State school or uh, fans or Michigan fans? Like what was that? They they were neither. Um, my dad went to Central for a little bit, and then my mom, she went to got her master's from Baker. So they weren't really either or. They could care less. It was just more when I started to look at schools. I liked Michigan. I didn't think I was good enough to play there out of high school. And then I also really liked Michigan State, and they were the first bigger school to give me an opportunity. So I jumped right on it. I wasn't going to wait around. And how fired up were you when you like, committed to Michigan State? Like, were you that big kid in high school where everyone's like, that that my, that lad is going to Michigan State? Like, that guy's a freak. So, were you just like the co- – I mean, not cocky, but were you walking around with a little, like, chip on your shoulder, like, I'm a dog here now? Uh, a little bit. My, my dad, um, he didn't really let me act like that. He was pretty, pretty strict and keeping level-headed. And uh, it wasn't until – I wasn't really a good ball player until – sophomore year of high school I went from 80 to 90 miles an hour in one summer um, just him him and I just training every day long tossing he had me a Nike spark running 60s all the time <laughs> um, and so yeah I went to Ed Santa showcase uh, kind of stood out a little bit there and then what actually got me to MSU was 
um, their assistant coach was sitting in the bullpen at a showcase. And I said, Hey, I need a catcher. He goes, Oh, I'll catch you. And his name was Eric Roof, who's now the head coach at Eastern Michigan. Just caught my bullpen. I went out there and threw and said, Hey, we'd like for you to come to a camp. And that was kind of, you know, it's kind of wow. fate. No, I mean, and was part of you thinking about going to the best division in America, AKA the Mac? Cause I'm a big Mac guy. I love the Mac. Was Mac schools knocking on your door or what? Yeah, I had a couple, couple offers. Um, no, I like central. Um, but when MSU, MSU came around pretty quick and I, and I didn't really want to wait. Um, they were big 10. I liked the green and white. I liked the basketball. I liked Izzo, D'Antonio. Um, but it, it all, it literally all happened within two and a half, three weeks Jesus. from all the recruiting. So it, it was a pretty quick process. And, and when, and what's that atmosphere like at Michigan state? Cause I heard, obviously I'm not from there, I'm from Toronto, but I heard that Michigan is like the school with like the kind of smart kids, but they kind of party, but Michigan state's like where it's at for partying wise, like Michigan state's the party school of the, of the state. Yeah, it's it it gets pretty crazy. The way they have it set up is nice. So it's like your your campus, then your bars, then your housing. So it's not like intertwined. So you go to the bar any given day. It might be on a Wednesday, wrapped around Harper's. You know, take an hour to get in, or you go down Grove Street and the ceilings are about to collapse in because there's so many people. Um, I remember we had a Halloween party one time, and it I think we had to have a thousand people come through <laughs> even the best so the basketball team was like a big deal on campus they even came in and said do we have to pay to get into this party so it's it's it gets pretty crazy <laughs> that's electric so you guys were actually close with the basketball team like they you guys knew each other yeah for best uh i'd say we we're much closer with probably hockey hockey um some football guys and then a little bit of basketball it's just basketball they kind of I don't even think they lived on campus. They kind of kept them secluded, um, but we all study in the same uh, same building. So it was, you got to know them a little bit and then just being kind of athletes, you're you're friendly to each other. You want to talk about people that get after it though. And obviously I'm biased because I'm from Canada, but the hockey team, I mean, those guys can get after it. Are they, would you say like the best partiers or most fun people to, to like get after it with in the, in the whole campus? They were, it was, when I was there, at least, it was definitely us in hockey. We were always kind of together doing stuff for the most part. Um, but I would have to say my be junior year, it, it had to have been the baseball team. It was, <laughs> it was a great time in uh, 2017, 2016. And what is like, so what is the main bar? And here's a free shout out for them. Like, what's the main bar there to get, like, to, to party with, like, What's like, what's the most popping place there on Friday, Saturday, stuff like that? It's either, it depends on what, if, if you're looking for the techno type stuff, it's probably Harper's. Um, if you're looking for a little more grimy basement, dark lights, that'd be Rick's. You have to walk down like three flights of stairs into a basement. Um, but we, we went to Luha's a lot. It was just a small bar. Wasn't crazy. Wasn't loud. It's more of a, a chill atmosphere. So they kind of have whatever you're looking for. Those would be the top three. I respect the hell out of that. And then like, I'm assuming just the football players, you guys would just never see them. They'd be out a little bit. Um, like before games, they would actually stay in even a home game. They'd stay in a hotel. So they play on Saturdays, obviously. So Friday night, they'd stay at the Kellogg center, I believe. Um, 
And then when their season was done, our season started. So we never, we never really went out to the bars too much during that. So it was, you'd see them a little bit, but not too much. Yeah. And what would you say is like the biggest rivalry you guys had in baseball? Cause I think Drew Lugbauer actually said, I think he said his was obviously Ohio state and like a little bit of Indiana. What would you say is that one school where you guys would like come close to brawls with? I'd, ha- I'd have to say Michigan. It got, when we played at Michigan, it got, it got chippy a few times. We had fans screaming at us over the dugout. Um, I, I'd say probably, probably, obviously, Michigan would be, would be number one. Well, okay, give us a story here. Like, give us a little bit of insight. Have Have you got into it with a fan at the University of Michigan, or what's the most fucked thing a University of Michigan fan has ever said to you? I'm trying to remember because I didn't travel my first two years, so I think I only went to Mich- U of M once, and it was. I don't even remember. There was a couple. Their their place was packed, and she this woman was just screaming at us. I think she was screaming at our head coach, screaming at our players. Literally, like on the uh, so it's our dugout, and then they're above us a walkway. Then the the stands, yeah. and she was just on the walkway, just ripping us, yelling and yelling. And yell- my mom, my mom said she almost had to say something because it was just crazy <laughs> for a high school game. I don't remember exactly what she said because it was four years ago already, five years. I just remember she was just not letting go. Yeah. And I wanted to go into the fact that you, like you said, you didn't travel the first two years and then out of nowhere, your junior year, you get drafted 17th round, which is pretty high for a guy that, like I said, didn't start his first two years. What changed for you in that like sophomore junior year? Because that just, my mind can't comprehend the fact that you went from not traveling to drafted by the Los Angeles Dodgers. So I got there in, I was having an arm issue in high school and they said you partially tore UCL. I rehabbed it, um, got to college. It was still bugging me, but it bugged. It was in a, uh, a, a weird spot that normally doesn't hurt with the UCL. It was on the backside of my forearm. And I said, we'll redshirt you this year, rehab it. And then you should be good to go. Did that, went to summer ball. So that was 2015, went to summer ball in 2015, threw a pitch and I think it was like 70 miles an hour, went 20 feet. I just pulled myself out of the game and said, there's, there's something going on. So that summer, I think less than a month later, I ended up having Tommy John. So then that wiped out all of 2016. So now freshman year's gone, sophomore year's gone. Come back, redshirt uh, sophomore year. So I'm a junior in school in 2017. I think I went my first 14 innings scoreless and then had a rough outing against um, Ohio State and then another rough one against Iowa and so we went to Campbell I don't know which state that's in so Campbell I have no idea it's no idea somewhere somewhere on the east coast and it was snowing out it was freezing cold and I they said hey you're going in against Cornell I think I went two scoreless uh I ended up like breaking a metal bat in half on the hands <laughs> and there, there was one scout there and it was, it was, his name's Jonah Rosenthal. I just was talking to him two days ago. He was there, foot up, battling the weather, the only guy there. And, um, you know, I threw well. We stayed in touch ever since, or, you know, ever since that outing. And then they actually invited me to a pre-draft workout in 20, at the, right before the draft. Um, threw really well there. And the rest is kind of history with them. It just, I threw at the right time and he was, you know, at the right, in the right place at the right time. How the hell do you break a metal bat in half? Like, did you jam the guy from I, hell? 
I, yeah, I think it was just so cold. I mean, it was like sleeting. Guys were in hoodies. It, I, I'm pretty sure they made a rule now. If it's below 32, you're not allowed to play. So uh, we'll call that the Nathan Witt rule. That's called yeah. the Na- that's yeah. the Nathan Witt rule now in my in, in in college baseball. If it's below 32, so we'll just keep it, a lookout for that. That's crazy. It's, it's something like because those bats are whatever. Don't use below 35. Don't use below 40. Something like that. Yeah. Um, but no, I just I got him on the hands because all I threw. I think. I I probably threw five breaking balls that entire year, so I just threw sinkers the entire time, and I probably just caught it on the hands, and the bat was ice cold. That's incredible. And then you, at Michigan State, obviously, you said there's a pretty good atmosphere there and stuff like that. Let's tell the people, what was the most electric atmosphere you ever pitched out in college? Give us the setting. Give us what was going on in your head. Let, let's go into it. So it was in Greenville, South Carolina. It was at uh, – all the teams switched. I think it was the Red Sox AAA when we were there. Now it's they're high. They're high. The Green yeah, now it's high. Yeah. Yep. Now the high. So the owner of that is actually a Michigan State grad. So they put us up nice. Everything was first class. And I, we were playing Clemson. And Clemson's Holy right shit. right down the road from there. They were ranked. They had a kid named Seth Beer, who I think was a first or second rounder. Um, so I came in that game. I think there was. 13,000 feet. It's crazy. It was packed. The most of it, a sea of orange everywhere. Um, came in. I was, I don't really remember being nervous because it was just, it was during that time where I was pitching decent and everything just felt good. Um, and I remember facing Seth Beer. I think I had him 0 2 in every, there's scouts all back there for him, you know, all the talks about him. Um, I actually got him to fly up to center field and that's when I kind of realized, realized I can do this. Um, I think I went two innings, four punch outs, one double and no walks, but it was, that's still to this day the most fans have ever thrown in front of, and it was just all orange. It was crazy. And when you're pitching in front of fans like that, because obviously on the show, humble brag, we've had like guys that pitch in the world series guys in the playoffs, stuff like that. Are you trying your hard not to like, are your hardest not to focus on the fact that you're pitching in front of legitimately like 13,000 plus people? Like how, how do you focus in that situation? Do you just not look up? It was, I know I looked up and I saw the sea of orange, but it was once I threw strike one, it was just kind of there. I didn't think about anything else, put the ball where I want to put it. It was just one of those days where everything was working for me. Or I mean, I guess I just, I only threw a fastball in college. So the two seam was just working and um, it's, when, when you can do that, it's it almost is like the game is easy. You're not you don't hear your, the fans, you don't hear anything else. You're just throwing the ball, getting out, and before you know it, it feels like you're out there two minutes and you're done. Did scouts like did scout were scouts pulling up the radar gun when you came in there a little bit, or what was going on there? I don't. There's I remember scouts being there, but there's it was so many people packed in. I think my dad has a video on his Facebook. I think I was up to ninety seven that Holy game sitting shit. sitting sitting ninety five ninety six. Um, so there may have been, but I didn't even think about it then. I wasn't even thinking about pro ball. That definitely got you on the radar, though, too. I mean, just throwing 97 in front of 13K people away, not even really that nervous, two innings, four punchies is bananas to me. But And then you get drafted. I mean, where were you when you got drafted? When did you find out you were going to get drafted? And how, like, how, how did that day go? Was it, were you, did you go in that range you were expecting? So I, I saw some stuff of um, perfect game, I think it was, like top. 300 draft prospect 
So I don't, I think that's top 10 rounds, which I knew probably wasn't the case because I didn't only threw 14 innings um, and, and I was kind of under the radar. So I was actually, I was in coming back from Oregon or Reno, Nevada. One of the two, I was playing summer ball in California. Yeah. And day, and day two went by and I didn't get picked. And I said, well, I'm, I'm just going back to school. It's whatever. And then I had like four or five teams call, hey, you know, trying to do some negotiations and stuff. And I just said, this is what I want for me to leave. If it's not, don't bother wasting a pick because I, you know, I'd rather just go back to school. So the next morning, um, I was sleeping on a net. Where was I? I was actually sleeping on a mattress in a living room in an apartment in uh, Petaluma, California. And Dakota Meccas texted me. I don't know if you've heard of Dakota. He's went to Michigan State. He's in AAA with the Cubs right now. He said, hey, are you signing? And I said, what are you talking about? (laughs) He said, you were just drafted. And I said, by who? said the Dodgers. So I went on and looked. And I don't know if you've ever looked at the draft yeah. tracker, but it's, they spelt my name wrong. I don't. <laughs> they put N A T and then Wit, so Nat Wit. <laughs> I don't know how you forget the H, the A, and the N. Um, so I, all of a sudden, my phone started blowing up a little bit. Parents calling me, mom's crying. Um, didn't hear anything for an hour from the Dodgers. So I'm like, maybe there's another Wit. His name is Nat, <laughs> Nat but. Uh, texted my scout finally and said, hey, Jonah, did you guys draft me? And he goes, yeah, you should be getting a call here soon. I think it was like three hours later. Um, Billy Gasparino, who's the head of their scouting, who I met at the pre-draft showcase, called me and said, just to, hey, you know, congratulations, stuff. Um, and so I ended up not signing until a couple hours right before the deadline. So I actually stayed in California another month, kept growing. Um, and then ended up flying to Arizona the last day of the deadline or the day before and, and signing. That's insane. I mean, that is the fact they spelled your name wrong just goes to show like where the league's at. That would never happen in the NFL. It might've, but that would never happen in like other leagues, just baseball. They just spell, they just spell guys that get drafted his names wrong. It's a and once I mean, in a lifetime opportunity and it's not. Yeah, and they just quit. butcher it. And they just absolutely butcher it. I actually might put down in the description. Your name's not wit. Like that might go in the description of this podcast, but but I mean, so when you get dropped, was the possibility of you just wanting to go back to school an option? Like even though, even when you got drafted yeah. by the Dodgers? Yeah, it was because I knew I'd be going back to school. It's t- I'd be a red shirt junior, so I'd have technically one good, you know, draft year, money year. They say not the best because I'd technically be a senior. Um, but it also I wasn't. I, I knew that if I went back and had a good year, now that I'm kind of known a little bit more. Uh, I might be able to get drafted a little bit higher. So that, that crossed my mind that MSU was saying, hey, come back. You know, you'll be our closer. You'll be this. So it was kind of just like back and forth, back and forth. And the Dodgers and I eventually worked out a deal um, that fit both of us. And, you know, I Dakota actually talked to Dakota and he said, time's a big thing in minor league baseball. He said, the sooner you can get in and get your foot in the door, go ahead and do it. That's so true. I, I took that advice and and ended up signing he has a point i mean he has a good point so are things like are you on a rocky road right now with the msu staff or what's the deal there uh it's yeah i i guess you could say that i mean i'm just going back and i'm trying to graduate i'll graduate here in uh two months three months but 
yeah, I don't, I don't know if they were the happiest about that. So wait, you're getting your degree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what, what are you getting it in? Political science, pre-law. Jesus. So we got a potential lawyer. Is is that, is that what the goal here is? that That was, that was the plan, but now it's, I'm going to be 26 next year, then three years of law school. Can't do that while I'm playing. So I'd, I'd be 40 years old before I start doing anything. So, I mean, I, I would take that. A guy that throws a hundred being your lawyer. Like that's a guy you want to go to court with. That's just insane to me. And then let's go into that. So you get dropped, you get dropped by the Dodgers, then traded to the Rays. Where were you when you found out you got it, got traded and what was the deal? I, obviously I didn't run and research the full deal, but how did that go down? So I was in, I was actually, I pitched in Fort Wayne a couple days prior and I ran to the bag and, and, and tripped and hit my knee on it weird. And it didn't feel good for like three days. And I was talking with our trainer, Jesse Guffey, who's the absolute man. He's awesome. And he said, Hey, we're not going to put you on the IL. We're going to put you on a, whatever it is. So we can pull you off in a couple of days. So basically you're not out for seven to 10 days. I said, okay, cool. So it's my last day. We throw a bullpen, felt great. Everything was sharp. And he, uh, he, he told me, obviously I didn't know at the time, Brandon Gomes, who's now the GM of the Dodgers, texted him and said, hey, Nathan Witt can't throw today. No matter what, he's not allowed to throw. And he said he responded and was like, I, I know it's his last day on the, I don't remember what whatever the list was, whatever it was called. And uh, so we, he just thought it was that, like making sure they didn't forfeit a game if I came in and threw a day early or yeah. something. So game ends. We went to a bar called Champs in Midland, Michigan, which is like up here. And he, we leave, we get back at midnight, and all of a sudden I get a call from Will Rhymes, who's, I think he's their uh, minor league coordinator still. He was when I was there. Um, and I thought, mm, maybe I'm, Going to high A, I don't know, because this is weird. They always call me. He said, hey, we just want to let you know, thank, thank you for everything, but you've been traded to Tampa Bay. And I said, what? This was at 1230, you know, one in the morning. And he's like, yep, you know, you've been traded. I said, for who? He said, we don't know yet. Um, you know, thank you for everything. Do you have any questions? They'll be calling you. Click. That was the end. Coordinator, pitching coordinator called me and said, hey, you know, this is a good thing for you just saying their goodbyes and so I went inside and I still didn't know who I was traded for yet and the Rays weren't going to call me at one in the morning so I figured they'd wait till the next morning I went inside called my agent to answer um actually Caleb Sampin I don't know if you've heard of him yeah yeah yeah. he uh was a Dodger got traded to the race so I called him and said hey I was just traded to the race uh you know my roommates were shocked then I got a call at nine in the morning from the race saying welcome you know we're gonna get you on a flight in two days luckily i was playing in michigan so i got to go home for a day and kind of recollect my thoughts because first time being traded you you know there's a lot of emotions kind of running through you uh, i was actually traded for casey sadler who is one of their big league guys i think he is now with uh seattle if yeah. i remember correctly thinker baller um and then was on a plane two days later, went to Bowling Green, which was actually in the same league that I was in with the Dodgers. So I just flipped teams um, and then kept playing. That was insane. I mean, so you at 1230, obviously it's like it's nine o'clock there at times. So it was a little bit different, but 
Did the Rays like tell you, for instance, we traded for you because we saw what you had and we saw potential in it, like you being a big league arm? Like, what did they say to you on the phone? Just like we're excited to have you. Um, this is where you're going. And that was really kind of it. They just short and sweet. This is your plane flight. This guy will be reaching out to you. They arranged that. They kind of more told me that during instructs and in our one-on-one meetings but it was more of hey let's get you here let's get you in uniform and and run you back out there that makes sense that's actually great and then so that race system by the way is absolutely insane i think it's the number one system in baseball one of the guys the guy that's been ducking this podcast for years now i tweet at him every goddamn two weeks it feels like shane baz what is shane baz like off the field on the field is he just as electric as he looks yeah, he's he's a really good dude. I actually just talked to him a couple of days ago. We are obviously in the same team in Montgomery before he went to AAA, but he just makes it look easy. I mean, he he when he all it starts here, it was like he was playing rookie ball kids. It was just unbelievable. It I, I talk about it all the time. It was it was he was like a cheat code, I guess you could say. I mean, he's super chill off the field. Um super nice guy super laid back and then super laid back before the game and then when he goes out there he just it's like he throws invisibles dudes don't hit it and <laughs> just goes about his business and does it every five days he's impressive and although he's kind of on the bad charts of this podcast of guys that i don't know if I, how i feel about them i gotta tip my captain because he's a freak but the next guy I want to talk about in your system is a guy that legitimately drives around in a Lambo and he's 19 years old is Wander Franco. I mean, what have you seen from this dude? This dude is bananas. That guy's not in the show yet. Is he as impressive as he looks? To be honest, I've never seen him play. Really? So, so I got trade. He was gone from Bowling Green. When I went in 19 for two months. Wasn't in the instructs in 19. COVID happened in 2020. He was in big league camp and ATS in 2021 and they they were like secluded like there's different protocols for them you never saw them they were different times so I've never seen him play I know he drives a, a Rolls-Royce truck um, <laughs> but I, I've talked to guys and they said he's his his hand to hand to ball is just unbelievable said you won't strike him out Said he's just super super um talented and, and making contact in, in his bat path but everyone says he's the real deal from who I've talked to. yeah and i gotta get an update because obviously a tragic incident happened with a guy in your system obviously not to not to go dark here but taylor zombro i believe is his name is that correct am i saying that correctly uh tyler zombro tyler zombro yep. were you i'm assuming you weren't there right that was in triple a that that yep, happened AAA. So what what was like the atmosphere, like even in like your clubhouse when they heard about the incident, because he's a big part. I always see tweets about how good of a dude he is. So, yeah, he, I actually met him for the first time in spring training, super cool dude, really advanced with analytics of how to use different stuff on read track, man, and all that, that, that good stuff. And, um, you know, kind of got around like, Hey, did you see Zombro? Did you see Zombro? Did you hear? Like, Oh, what happened? They said he took a, a, a line drive off the head and it wasn't good um so it, it was that was tough and i know when we came in we did like a moment of silence our, our manager morgan ensberg said a prayer for him um and then our coordinator our uh, minor league coordinator was actually here jeff mclaren and he kind of gave us little updates like hey he's he's here he's doing this he's awake he's talking uh but it was it's definitely scary hearing that because you i mean 
you, it, you never know when it can happen, who it could happen to, and how serious it was with him and the stuff he read. It's, you know, makes you stick to your stomach. It was, uh, and I saw the pictures of like post surgery and stuff like that. I heard he's doing well actually now, but it's just, you, you never think about that, man. It's just crazy yeah. how fast the game of baseball moves, especially now with the exit velocities and how fast pitchers are throwing. So it's insane to me. And I wanted to go into last week when you hit a hundred, I believe you hit 100.8. Is that correct? We'll call it one Oh one to sound cool. A hundred, no, a hundred, hundred point two. Hundred point two. Okay. So we'll call it one Oh one. Cause it's episode one Oh one. What did you realize? Like, were you scoreboard watching when you threw that shit? Cause you had to be right. You had to know it was 100 plus. It, it was, so I wasn't pitching great. You know, I've, I've had a rough couple outings where I just feel like there's a force field around the strike zone. But this kid that came up, his name's, uh, I know his last name's Adolfo. He plays for the White Sox, 40 man guy, just crazy power. He actually, my first outing this year, hit a uh, cutter off me about 700 feet. So I had him. Um, he came up to the plate and I said, You're not seeing any breaking balls, and I'm going to throw this as hard as I can. And, and I think I went. 99.8 hundred yeah. hundred hundred and I got him one two and that's when I hit a hundred point two and struck him out on a fastball kind of down the middle but our scoreboard said 99 so I I that's been a goal of mine is just to hit the triple digits to say I've done it but when it said 99 I didn't think anything of it until the next day when we got our report and saw uh saw I hit it but it was a it was a one-two pitch but I, I said, you're not, you're not getting anything slow here. So I reared back a little bit more. So this is the pitch sequence for the people listening. Cause this is obviously just my, like bananas to me. First pitch, 99.6, second pitch, 100.2, third pitch, 100.1, fourth pitch, 100.1, fifth pitch, 98, sixth pitch, 99. I mean, that's, is that the fastest you've ever thrown in a sequence in your life? Cause that's just unhealthy. I mean, that's insane. That, that sequence is, yeah, this year it's been, um, I've never really hit 99 and I've been hitting that pretty, pretty consistently 98, 99s. Um, but I didn't, the hundreds is the, I think 99, four is my top going into the game. So that, that was definitely my hardest sequence right there. Were you hitting up our guy like Chris Muller and saying, listen, Chris, I mean, I hit the triple digits technically before you did like what's going on there with that. Yeah. I texted on my camera. He gave me some all cap too. So all pump for me text. That's incredible, um, man. But, but no, that, that's that's uh, that was both of our little goals this offseason was to do that. And what's the first impression? Because I have to obviously have to ask about Chris, obviously a good friend of the show, one of my good buddies. What was the first impression you got about Chris? Because obviously you're you're from Michigan, he's from Texas. That's two way different states. What was the first impression you got of the the legend Chris Muller? Uh, now he was super cool. His locker was actually next to mine, um, and then we hit it off really well. It's almost like we're for the most part, the same person and how we think, how we do things like mindset wise, for the most part, uh, you know, we just became really good buddies. I actually lived with him for a month this past off season. I asked him to be in my wedding. Um, wow. We hit it off and you know, became really good friends. That's going to be a scary wedding. I mean, Chris Moeller, I, I don't know if you saw on Kyle's debut, this guy was getting after it. And obviously, congratulations to Kyle Muller, friend of the show. <laughs> Chris Muller is a good time. I, I would say he's probably one of the best times. Would you say he's one guy? If you want to go to the depths of hell, your last party on the planet, Chris Muller is the guy you're bringing. I'll say that about him. Yeah, he uh, 
we we living with him for a month definitely yeah i uh i think i took care of him once or twice but um no, he, he's going to be a fun time at the bachelor party and, and for the wedding for sure i said he's also going to be the the security guard too because he's he, the size of the house he has to make a speech i mean I, I first of all i need to get that on video his speech i obviously he's not the best man but he's in your wedding party so maybe we gotta some somehow maneuver a way to get chris muller to say a speech at your wedding because it might be some electric shit it might be some stuff that he's not going to pre-plan he's going to let it fly mm-hmm. and it's going to be incredible yeah, I'll, uh, I'll have to ask Madison that. If not, definitely the uh, the bachelor party before yeah. it all happens. Like a, cr- the, a little uh, pump up speech. Hangover. A little pump up speech. Yeah. yeah, like a little Alan from the Hangover pump up speech. Yeah. And right now, obviously, you're pitching in Montgomery, which is the most electric baseball team name in minor league history. I will say at the Montgomery Biscuits. Let's talk about the atmosphere there. I mean, I heard the mascot is a legitimate biscuit with butter on it. What? Yep. I mean, what's going on there? What's are the what are the fans like? No, it, it's good. They uh they get a decent amount of fans. The weather's been really weird. It'll it'll rain right before game time, so it, it kind of affects things a little bit. But you know, it's super cool. There's a train that's literally a foot behind the fence in left field that just drives by. The guy honks his I don't know if it's a horn, train horn, um, <laughs> every time he goes by. But yeah, you no, know, it's uh. It's definitely a good atmosphere. They do giveaways all the time and cool T-shirts. So we get usually get one of those bucket hats. Uh, so they're always doing something. Yeah. And, I mean, being one of those guys that's throwing 100-plus now, are you kind of looked upon as, like, the big dog there? Or has, are, 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 are there other pitchers that are throwing 100 on that team or close to it? Yeah, there, yeah there's a guy, Joel Pagaro. He's, um, he's probably, like, 5'10", 170 pounds. He threw yesterday and – the last four pitches of his first inning were 100 miles an hour. He's 98, 99, 100 with a slider at 90. Jesus. Uh, but every, if you look at the guys here, everyone is just unbelievable. Everyone has does something. So if they throw 91, they get 25 inches of carry. So they're throwing just invisibles or guys throw six pitches in the zone. It's it's just this organization's talent is unbelievable. And going into, obviously, the minor leagues, you've been grinding for, I think you've been in the minors for four years now. Is that correct? Five years? How many years is that? Uh, I threw five innings in 17. So if you count 17, I think it's five. Yeah, so four or five years. First full year was in 2019. Yeah, so we'll say say four years, benefit of the doubt. What would you say is, like, one of the weirdest towns you've ever visited? We always get – I mean, I I love getting the funny stories, but let's start it off with your town. What's the weirdest town you visited where it's like, I can't sleep in this hotel. This is borderline like a war – a crime crime zone. Bowling Green, Kentucky. Really? The hotel was – it was weird. You walk in, and it was super old and run down. Then they had an indoor pool. So it was 95 degrees and they're just humidity because it was just yeah. all the it was crazy because it's 100 degrees there. Then our room was, I remember the one time it was uh, Andre Jackson and I was with the Dodgers. This is when we were at the Dodgers. I lifted up the sheet and there was like a, a bug crawling around on the bed. And I, <laughs> for that three, game, that three game series, I slept on top of the sheets with a hoodie on, just pulled it tight. Uh, <laughs> Wet pants, and that's how I slept. That's that's incredible. That's the minor leagues. I mean, and I think Tyler Matzik told a story about when he was playing the minor leagues, he went to a – I don't remember where it was, but 
he went to a hotel and he looked to pull up the covers. There was just blood. Like there was just blood on the sheets in the, would you say it's like a 50, 50 chance when you're traveling at those low levels that you're going to get a hotel with potential STDs on the bed? Like, would you say it's like a 50, 50 chance? It depends on where you're at. So when we went to like South Bend, super nice. Yeah. Um, when we went to Bo- now Bowling Green's a cool town because I, I lived that's where I played the last few months, but we were on like the not the cool part of the town. But I'd say, yeah, Lake County, Bowling Green, um, turn out other teams in that league. I think Beloit was pretty tough. We didn't go there. So it was it's kind of hit or miss. You have your favorites. Like when you're going to South Bend, you're staying in the Maywalk, super nice hotel. Um, when you go in the other cities, you know it's a blanket and some sweatshirts. What about Double A here? I mean, is is Double A majority of the hotels nice? Oh, they're all, yeah, they're they're very nice. It's all Holiday Inn, Hampton Inns. Um, we stayed in some hotel connected to a mall that was super super nice a couple weeks ago. So yeah, they're all they're all nice here. That's incredible. I mean, I guess the higher you get up with levels and all that kind of stuff, the more stuff you get. I mean, people t- t- say that all the time. But let's go into the minor league story of the week, man. I mean, what would you say is the most fucked or the most funny minor league story? Does it deal with fans, just an in-game weird interaction? Like, what's going on? What would you say is the funniest story that you have? Oh, man. Um, I will I will say one just one just happened. It's off the top of my head. It's, it's with Joel Pagaro again. Uh, so we're in Montgomery. Uh, Aranda's up. He's a hitter for us. Call him barrels. All he does is find a barrel. Ground ball, 150. You know, fly balls, it's <laughs> 150 off of that. He was, uh, we're in the eighth, eighth or ninth inning. It's his last of bet. Obviously, he's a triple away from the cycle. He hits a rocket inside the third baseline goes into our bullpen Peguero picks it up because he thought it was foul realizes it's fair and just drops it and throws his hands up like this like nothing ever happened um so around <laughs> got stuck at second base where he would have probably stretched it for a triple uh, but it was just kind of just fun his reaction when he dropped the ball and kind of realized it and then Aranda kind of talked to him a little bit was laughing with him but um that probably that that's been the funniest this year I would be so pissed if I'm a triple A from the cycle and like a bullpen guy. Were, were you guys like screaming on to not pick that shit up? Like what was going on there? I think I don't know if I pitched. I might have been in the dugout, but it was or doing arm care and I, and I heard about it and then I, I saw it on video and it was the way he just. I need that video. I I need that real. video somehow, some way. I'm posting that with this story. That is bananas that that actually happened. That's like one of those fan things where a fan picks the ball up and then he pretends he didn't touch it, and then you see security waddle their way down to the front row and then just like, all right, man, you're out of here. Like that. It, that that's what it, it was, is. It was one of those tough ones where if you weren't paying attention right away, you didn't know if it was fair file and literally darted like almost into our bullpen. So. It, it was a tough spot to be in, um, but Aranda was cool about it. I mean, the dude, he'll probably hit for 50 cycles in his career. The guy just abs- is an absolute barrel machine. True. Uh, that's uh, Having the nickname Barrel is the biggest, like, brag of all time. If that's your nickname, you just mash. But who would you – I don't s- know if other people call him that, but I call him because it's – I mean, it's literally – I think I use him for yard cards every other game. You get one yard card a game if who's going to hit a homer, and I use him. It's, that's – Yeah. 
that's a good guy to use it on. But and then a couple more things. I mean, the last second last thing I want to go into. Who is one prospect that you see with the like the Rays right now? Obviously, you guys have so many top prospects. So there's guys off that prospect list that aren't even top 30 that are nasty. Who would you say is like the most underrated prospect or guy that that's in that system right now? Uh, I think. Uh, I got to run through them all in my head real quick. Like who's one guy that's like hitting like 350 that no one really talks about, or just one guy that throws like not 99, a hundred that no one is even bringing up in that system or talked about. See, I think, I think Aranda is a prospect. I don't know if he's top 30, but I mean, the guy is, I think he's hitting 280, 290 right now, but his, his at bats and, just, I mean, when you're grounding out 107, 105, and those are your outs, it's pretty good. Um, Pitching-wise, it's – I mean, that's so tough because you look at AAA, that pitching staff, half of them have been in the big leagues already. So it's – I know there's some young guys coming up that are that are good. I know there's a guy with Charleston right now. His um, last name's Felipe. He's 6'7", and I watched him throw a live BP one time when he was sitting 101. Jesus Christ. And I, oh. and I think I think he's 20, maybe 20, 21, 22. So he's just a young guy, but throws absolute noise. He's, That's I mean, incredible. His, his arms are probably seven foot. He's huge. That's a power move. But anyways, Witter, uh, pre, like I said, I think Chris, uh, Chris was vouching for you to come on the pod. I, I like, obviously I didn't want to do it like a while ago and then I have to drop it three weeks later. I'm luckily we could get you on for episode one one and how convenient for me, credit to me for getting you on after you hit a hundred. So I can get the a hundred story, but anyways, man, I really appreciate you doing this. And you know what, if Michigan, I'll say this, if Michigan state somehow finds a way to retweet this or even acknowledge the fact this podcast exists, I Michigan baseball is dead to me because they haven't acknowledged this podcast once. So somehow, some way, Michigan State, you're on the clock. But anyways, though, man, I appreciate you doing this, brother. Thank you. Yep, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Officially Unofficial. Make sure you guys subscribe and leave a review on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Pod and on Instagram at Officially Unofficial Pod. Thank you. Thank you.